Hello, feeling filmers. Welcome to this new episode of FF Plus, the place where we gather each week for simple, short, and spoiler-free new release reviews with me. I'm your host, Aaron White, and I'm excited to share with you three new films that I've had the opportunity to see. As always, we like to get right into it on this show and not waste your time. But if you are enjoying the show, the content, the reviews, please drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, maybe some kind words, and or a rating on Spotify or whatever else podcast app you may use to listen to your podcast. That helps us out quite a bit, and we are very grateful for each and every one of those. But most of all, thank you for listening. The first film I want to share with you about is The Menu from Searchlight Pictures. It stars Anya Taylor-Joy, Nicholas Holt, Ralph Fiennes, Hong Chow, Janet McTeer, Judith Light, and John Leguizamo. It is directed by Mark Mylod and is written by Seth Rice and Will Tracy. What's it about? Young couple Margot and Tyler travel to a remote island to eat at Hawthorne, an exclusive restaurant run by celebrity chef Julian Slowick, who has prepared a lavish molecular gastronomy menu where food is treated as conceptual art. But his approach to cuisine has some shocking surprises for the wealthy guests. This was a deliciously wicked satire of fine dining obsession for a variety of reasons. And it was much less horrific, but also much funnier than I had expected. Had not seen a trailer going into this movie, so had zero expectations whatsoever. I guess I should say I had one expectation, and that was only based on a run of other films that I've seen this year that have done something in the realm of gastro horror. And so I was imagining some similar style scares and grotesqueries, and that's not quite what this is when it comes down to it. So I actually was able to really enjoy this because it didn't go into a gross place and that is the kind of thing that turns me off so if you are worried about that for any reason i think you can rest easy the horror here is pretty easy to digest (laughs) to use a food pun of which i will probably end up doing multiple times so in the synopsis it mentions other wealthy guests The group that we have going to Hawthorne for this event is an eclectic collection of famous and or wealthy patrons. There's egotistical Hollywood star. There are what I kind of think, I guess, are tech bros that are very rich. There's a food critic. There's an aspiring chef who essentially worships at the feet of Chef Julian Slowick. And they all play a part in the story eventually as to why they are specifically there. Margot, played by Anya Taylor-Joy, is basically our POV character, which I really enjoyed. She isn't supposed to be there. She's sort of a late addition accompanying Tyler, and she serves as the person who questions things around her that are happening that the audience is seeing and kind of wondering about. And thinking maybe things aren't quite right, she calls those things out, whereas the other characters 
either ignore them or are, you know, intentionally vague about them. There's clearly something going on that is more than it seems. And as the meal of many courses progresses, the tension ratchets up and then some very crazy stuff starts to happen. It's a dark comedy, so it's a mixture of horrific shock moments and a lot of on-the-nose satire, which I didn't mind at all. I actually found this to be far more entertaining than something like Triangle of Sadness was. Both films are blunt, I would say, in their own way, but this was just much more entertaining, I thought. It's a very theatrical presentation that the chef is putting on. He considers his menu to be about storytelling, but the way that the story handles it is by presenting it to us with such a reverence from both the chef and some of the characters that are partaking. It serves really as a takedown of fancy food culture, and that makes it very interesting. It's hard to say a lot about this because the reason that the characters are at Hawthorne and what they experience uniquely to them and their own situations as well as the collective group of them being there for this specific meal. The unraveling of all of that is what the movie wants you to enjoy. And so by telling you any more, I would probably ruin some of your experience. Some of it really is just incredibly funny, especially when Ralph Fiennes is ranting and raving. He commands the screen as the chef and is fully committed to this character's eccentricities and oddities. And he is so serious that you almost at times question whether or not his methods are correct, which I think is one of the great signs of a good performance. Anya Taylor-Joy looks absolutely stunning if you've seen the trailers for this. It's a single location, single night kind of film, so pretty much everybody is in the outfit that they're in for the length of the movie. She has red hair in this. She's wearing this purple and burgundy gown that is absolutely just beautiful. Performance-wise, the whole ensemble is good. Hong Chao as Elsa, who is Chef Slowick's main assistant, is particularly awesome. She gets a lot of dialogue that are it, it kind of consists of some zingers and some putting people in their place that I think. And she also has a very stoicness about her where some characters are tending to get more emotional and riled up and she just stays one note, which is very funny in its own kind of deadpan sort of way. And it's really a stylishly shot film. It highlights the beauty of the food, but it's done in a simplistic way. And not the food. The food is very extravagant. The way of shooting it is very simplistic. There's no crazy, you know, tricks going on with the cameras. It just has a, a very strong style to it. Um, a richness, honestly. I mean, that's what this is all about is uh, ego and money and feeling yourself and status and things like that. And then this all boils up to a final scene that is so completely silly and yet just a wonderful, wonderful way to end this movie. It leaves you with a smile. It had me cackling out loud at the way that it all went down. There's a great line in this movie that 
one of the characters says middle of the way through talking about the ending of their final courses. And she says, it needs an ending that ties everything together conceptually. Otherwise, it just tastes good. And who cares? That summed up the type of satire that you're getting here. That final scene is one of those that will be kind of seared in your memory. And you'll always remember this movie as, oh yeah, it's the one that did that thing. And your friends will, who have also seen the movie will laugh when you say that because the image will come back into their heads. So it has a great kind of final moment that's like a wow there's not a lot of depth to this whole story though i mean i said earlier it's kind of simplistic it's very surface level it's more about just having an entertaining time with this than it is about deeply asking you to reflect on your own relationship with food and money and status and power and all of these things it uses those to give you a piece of Hour and a half, hour and 45 minute long entertainment. So go in, expect it to be that, take it for that, and I think you'll have a good time. The menu will be in theaters on November the 18th, and I think this would be a great movie to see with a crowd because of some of the things that happen in it. It will be one of those where people are just like caught off guard, and so you're going to get reactions and collective reactions in any sort of horror movie are always a blast. So I would recommend a theater, but definitely check it out when it hits streaming if you're not able to make it out to the movies to see this one. Next is Devotion from Sony Pictures. This stars Jonathan Majors, Glenn Powell, Christina Jackson, Joe Jonas, Nick Hargrove, Spencer Neville, and Thomas Sadowski. It is directed by J.D. Dillard and written by Jake Crane and Jonathan Stewart based on the 2017 book Devotion, an epic story of heroism, friendship, and sacrifice by Adam Makos. What's it about? The true story revolves around elite fighter pilots Jesse Brown and Tom Hudner, who become the U.S. Navy's most celebrated wingmen during the Korean War. This is definitely a movie that has a pair of aces in it, in its two central performers, Jonathan Majors and Glenn Powell. But a winning hand, a pair of aces, does not always make. I had high hopes for devotion this is one of the few trailers I did watch, and I watched it quite a few times because it looked incredible. Coming on the heels of Top Gun Maverick over the summer, I think the ability for this to kind of ride on its coattails and follow on in the hype that people had for seeing dogfighting in the sky and for seeing elite Navy pilots work their trade this had a lot of potential, and I felt like that is what the movie was selling to me, was the story about these two guys that accomplished incredible feats in the air during the Korean War. That is really not the movie that we get, and so I'm hopeful that this will help some listeners to set your own expectations, because expectations are killer. We talk about it all the time. And if you don't get what you're thinking you're going to get, it's very hard to accept the movie on its own terms. That being said, there are definitely some fight scenes. There's a couple, but they are far and few between compared to what you might expect for a movie of this length. It is less about Jesse Brown, played by Jonathan Majors, and his specific heroic actions as a pilot, and really more about his importance his devotion, 
to breaking down barriers and inspiring other African Americans to become pilots, as well as fighting for freedom, which he thoroughly believed in. He is regarded as the first U.S. Navy pilot that was a, an African American, and so he holds a, an important place in history, and really that's the movie that we get. It's a story where Thomas Hudner comes to join the squadron, and he meets Jesse Brown and the other pilots. Their squadron leader, Thomas Zadowski, is there as well, and it's about them getting to know each other, learning to fly a brand new type of plane, and then shipping off to the Korean War to fight. And over the course of the story, we watch Jesse Brown have to deal with racism. And he tells stories about his past and what it took for him to get where he is. And he is regarded as one of the best pilots at the time. But this is more about the internalization of his own anger and the challenges that he faced over the course of the story. The two of these men grow to be really good friends as well as wingmen. And the relationship between the two and pretty much all of our scenes that involve dialogue between the two directly are usually a joy to watch. The big primary battle that we get has some fabrications in it. I don't think there is a lot of detail about what actually took place. The reality is that it's probably amplified in order to make Jesse Brown sound or look, I should say, a little better. Because what actually took place is he gets shot down. This is real life, so this is not a spoiler. His plane ends up getting shot down during an attack sequence that they go on to protect some ground troops, and Hudner goes to try and save him. And so the final act is really all about that. And so while this movie feels like it is selling itself as a heroism of Jesse Brown, it can at times feel like almost somewhat of a white savior type of story, because Thomas Hudner is the one that honestly risks his own life to try and save Jesse Brown. Now, I find that to be incredibly inspiring and beautiful. Their friendship, I believe Jesse Brown would have done the exact same thing for Thomas Hudner as well. But I wanted to see more of what it was that made these guys special as pilots. And this is just much, much more of a very slow paced for the first two thirds of it drama about Jesse Brown integrating and having to go up and not just face the challenge of learning to fly a new plane in the middle of a war, but also the people around him and how every little thing that occurred could impact his career in a major way and in a way that his white counterparts never would have to deal with. But the way it's shot it's quite decent. I think that the cinematography leaves a lot to be desired, not because it's necessarily bad, but because they use CGI, and after seeing Top Gun Maverick, it sticks out like a sore thumb. It does not look very good, in my opinion, and that was kind of frustrating because I had this new baseline for what I needed to see to be wowed, and this movie did not bring that at all. So 
this is about friendship. It's about friendship. It's about devotion to each other. It's about devotion to your country. It, it should be about devotion to your faith. That's something that was very important to the real Jesse Brown that isn't touched on much in the movie, unfortunately. I think it should have been. And I liked this, but I did not love it. I did want to read you the medal citation, the Distinguished Flying Cross citation that was awarded to Jesse Brown after his passing during this event. The President of the United States of America takes pride in presenting the Distinguished Flying Cross posthumously to Ensign Jesse Lee Brown, Leroy Brown, United States Navy, for heroism in aerial flight as pilot of a fighter plane in Fighter Squadron 32 attached to the USS Leyte in hostile attacks on hostile North Korean forces, participating in 20 strikes on enemy military installations, lines of communication, transportation facilities, and enemy troop concentrations in the face of grave hazard at the Chosun Reservoir, Takshan, Mamjin, Linchong, Sinujou, Kasan, Wansan, Chanjin, Kilchu, and Sinanju during the period of 12 October to 4 December 1950. With courageous efficiency and utter disregard for his own personal safety, Ensign Brown, while in support of friendly troops in the Chosun Reservoir area, pressed home numerous attacks, destroying an enemy troop concentration moving to attack our troops. So aggressive were these attacks in the face of enemy aircraft fire that they finally resulted in the destruction of Ensign Brown's plane by anti-aircraft fire. His gallant devotion to duty devotion was in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Naval Service. This story that you just hear in this, to me, sounds like an amazing war movie, right? 20 engagements. We see two, two, two engagements that we see. And it makes it sound like Ensign Brown was just a part of this. Like he, he was not the one that, it's not like he went off on his own and did a thing. His entire squadron was part of a task. They accomplished their task. He got shot down. And so while there is heroism in that, he did not do something above and beyond what any of his fellow pilots were doing according to his own award here. And so I just find it to be an interesting presentation and a little bit of a twisting of the narrative in the way this movie was marketed to make it feel like Jesse Brown was this incredible fighter pilot. Again, I don't want to take anything away from him as a person. He has a very devoted relationship with his wife, which is shown throughout the film. It's very lovely. And I think he was an amazing person. He left a major impact on many African-Americans who would follow in his footsteps and be inspired to become fighter pilots themselves. So hugely important person in history. but. The way that the story gets told just left a little bit to be desired for me personally. Devotion will be in theaters on November the 23rd, Thanksgiving week, and I do recommend seeing it. I think it is a good movie, and it's compelling enough, but as always, with anything historical, you want to go and read the full story after you're done and make decisions for yourself about what you saw and how it was presented to you. I actually was compelled, I think, to read the book. I, I would like to know more about him as a person. Also, one last final note, Thomas Sadowski in this movie as the squadron leader is a great supporting performance. The rest of the crew and cr very much kind of passable. I don't think any of the performances in this movie, even though Glenn Powell and Jonathan Majors are great actors, they do good work. Jonathan Majors by far 
carries the weight of this as Jesse Brown, as he should, since it's supposed to be about him. But I don't think anyone is outside of him is doing anything spectacular performance-wise, but Thomas Sadowski kind of comes in and steals every scene he's in with some sort of like little witty line, and I really appreciated him. It, it felt natural to me as someone who's been in the Navy for over 15 years myself, and he was much like many leaders that I have come across who do care very much about their people but have to display that in a way that is somewhat standoffish uh, just to, due to the nature of how military leadership structure works. But yes, anyway, go see this movie or at least catch it on streaming. It's definitely worth seeing. As I like to do, I saved the best for last. That is She Said from Universal Pictures. It stars Carrie Mulligan, Zoe Kazan, Patricia Clarkson, Andre Brower, Jennifer Ellie, and Samantha Morton, and Ashley Judd as herself. It is directed by Maria Schrader and written by Rebecca Linkiewicz, based on the New York Times investigation that exposed Harvey Weinstein's history of abuse and sexual misconduct against women, and the 2019 book of the same name by Jody Cantor and Megan Toohey. What's it about? The film depicts the work done by journalists Jody Cantor and Megan Toohey to break the story of Harvey Weinstein's sexual misconduct allegations. Journalism movies will always and forever hold a dear place in my heart. This was a job that I desired to do coming out of high school. My intentions were to go to college, to get a journalism degree, probably with some sort of dual major in political science. Those were the plans. I absolutely love the idea of investigative journalism and the importance of it. And I place a lot of value in the truth-telling and sharing of information that can come from organizations like the New York Times and, and has come from them over the course of history. I think that it's necessary and it is very difficult and it is shown to us in this movie that that is the case. To seek the truth like Tui and Cantor do in a world of snap judgments and self-crafted realities, organizations that take the time to put in the effort to ensure facts and expose it to the world have immense value, maybe even more than ever, to combat the way that information flows so freely and unchecked on social media and the internet. I love how this movie focuses on the two famous reporters, Jody and Megan, who definitely did the lion's share of the work, but it makes it very clear that it's a team effort. There is a a whole group of leaders at the New York Times that is behind them, that is supporting them, that is helping them to make sure they're able to get done what they need to get done. You don't bring down someone with decades of abuse like this just by having a couple of people walk around and ask questions. It takes a village, and I thought that she said represents that well. The performances by Mulligan and Kazan are outstanding. It takes empathy and it takes patience. And they show that so, so well. Tui and Cantor succeeded largely because they did not press women and push them to the point of scaring them off or becoming inaccessible. They knew that they needed these women to go on the record as victims about the abuse that 
they either witnessed or that they experienced themselves in order to have the case against Harvey Weinstein be anything other than just hearsay. And they remain at all times extremely approachable and understanding of the situation. I saw it put one way that, you know, you need women to tell women's stories. And I don't, I don't think that that is a necessity at all times, but I think that this film benefits from having women's perspectives all throughout it, both the writer, the director, and then it shows you that these reporters really were able to connect with the women that were victims that they were investigating in a way that I don't think male reporters ever could have been able to accomplish simply because of what was being talked about and the history of what these people had experienced. This is a hard, hard watch. It's a disgustingly honest experience. Great movie about the journalism process. There's a whole lot of talking on cell phones in the, that's how journalism in the modern world, I'm sure is very much done. They're taking notes on their cell phones. They're taking calls in the middle of the night and at all times. And there's one brief scene that I really appreciated where an editor is at a table for, on a laptop and they're all crowded around him and he's actually checking to make sure things are spaced correctly. Listen, people, I, I get it. I have a passion for that myself. Get the grammar right. So kudos to that dude. And I love that this film also shows not just the reporting efforts, but the impact that this lengthy investigation has on our two main reporters and their home life. So both of them are mothers. Both of them are married. They're different stages in motherhood. Tui is going through having a newborn and Cantor has a couple of daughters of her own. And that certainly plays into this. You can feel how much it matters to them to get this story right and to expose what has been happening because they don't just want to do it to get Harvey Weinstein. They want to change the world. They want to impact the way that sexual harassment allegations in the workplace are handled across the world for all of the future in order to make a better future for their own daughters and not only themselves, right? And so those things come across in the screenplay uh, very clearly and are, are wonderful addition to this, it gives it a lot of depth. It rounds out the story. Harvey Weinstein's a piece of trash. Like we all know that. I, I also like the choice never to show his face. He's only in the film a few times, a handful towards the end. And we hear his voice occasionally and we see the back of his head, but we never see him. And I, and I think that that is a, a good decision. Keeps him kind of at an arm's length. Like we don't need to have that replayed. For people. The movie does have a bit of a slight rough opening for me. It begins by showing us an event that happened. It shows us a victim and kind of the rea like a brief moment of her becoming an assistant on a film set and then running away crying down the street, which is going to come into play later, but not until a way, 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 way later in the film. But it, it's kind of setting the stage for someone that has been abused. And then we go into a brief period where it is telling us about Megan Toohey, who is or introducing us to Megan Toohey, and she is investigating 
Donald Trump, who is not yet president, and his sexual allegations, and essentially her reporting does not stop him from becoming president. It just happens anyway. So I, I get the context of setting her character up because that's where she's come from. And what ends up happening, this character played by uh, Carrie Mulligan, she actually has a lot of righteous anger that comes, I think, from her private comes from her previous experience in sexual harassment and sexual abuse reporting as well, and more so than Cantor has. Cantor leans a little more to the softer and empathetic side. They're both empathetic. Mulligan, as Megan Toohey, does have some serious outbursts in this occasionally. Not out of control, by any means. Like I said, righteous anger. Very understandable frustration boiling over. And Mulligan is just so good. So good at doing that. And and then she does that well here, too. And so, anyway, this opening sequence with President Trump, it sets the stage, but it's kind of a drag, and it doesn't really touch on what we're doing here. And then the film just, it I don't think it's edited well. I, I don't know, I want to be nicer to it. I don't want to be mean, but it's got erratic editing where we jump from, like, a quick scene of... Jody Cantor for the first time, and she's like getting coffee in some sort of cafeteria. And then we cut to Megan Toohey, who is at the doctor's office about to get an ultrasound because she's pregnant. And then we cut to the New York Times and Cantor just sitting at her desk typing like there's there's a lot of like quick shots in the first maybe quarter of this movie specifically that just they don't really they don't show you how they connect in a way that flows the way that a typical film should so there's a little bit off there also it can kind of be slightly melodramatic the score does a lot of lifting to kind of urge your emotion along where i honestly don't think it was necessary at all because the content is there like we're already enraged about these situations. We're already heartbroken for what we are listening to these women express about their experiences. The score just, it almost feels unnecessary. I mean, it's, it's beautiful music, but you know, it's sweeping and it just, it just ratchets it up in that Oscar type of way. Don't think it was, had to be there, but that's what it does. Again, I, I do also really like that the film shows us multiple victims and the various ways that they were affected, not just in the moment that they experienced abuse, but how it impacted their lives in different ways, how they've dealt with that or not dealt with that. It's very hard to watch sometimes, but I think it's necessary to go through feeling those experiences with them so that we can be more aware of what that's like. And ultimately, the goal of this is that no one should ever have to be silent about this again. If it happens, hopefully it never does, but it will. But when it happens, we need to be able to have a world where women can speak up, be believed, and we can immediately have workplaces that take action and criminal systems that take action and punish those that are responsible for the abuse. In addition to Mulligan and Kazan, the supporting performances by Patricia Clarkson and Andre Brower as New York Times uh, executives, I'm not sure of their exact positions they're both outstanding just really really enjoyed them in the small bursts that they're on the screen the only other thing is that the film is a little bit questionable in how it 
damns everyone else in Hollywood that was part of this system, other than Weinstein himself and maybe his lawyer. It definitely touches on the fact that there were assistants, there are other executives and people involved in payouts and settlements and silencing women that were very important pieces to help the Weinstein machine continue to operate in this abusive way. So it makes note of that, but those people are never taken to task for their role in what occurred in this film. It feels very much like a, we gotcha Weinstein. And so hopefully this changes the world more than a, we interrogated, investigated, and completely broke down the entire system and held everyone that was party to it accountable. And now this will never happen again. So I, I don't know that that's the story that it could have told or needed to tell, but it's just something that stuck out to me personally. Uh, that I maybe would have liked to seen a little bit more effort go into. Or maybe that's not what happened. Maybe that's just the case, and that's just an unfortunate reality, is that we don't care as much about the people that aren't at the top of the abuse chain. And if so, that's really unfortunate and really scary, because then it's going to be much, much more difficult to ensure that these sort of events don't continue to take place in workplaces and in areas where one or two people have all of this type of power over others uh, again. So I really, really loved, she said, I think it's one of the better journalism movies in the last decade or so, but you know, these always are big hits with me. And I think that if you are a fan of films that depict this kind of work, like Spotlight or The Post or all the president's men, then this is definitely something that you need to check out. I also just really, again, I don't know if I said this earlier, kind of lost track, but I appreciate the fact that this is based on a book, but if you didn't read the book, and if you didn't read a constant flurry of news articles as all of this was happening leading up to Weinstein's eventual sentencing in New York for some sexual assault that was done there, and he's in prison for that, while also facing further charges in other cities. If you didn't stay up to date on all of that, this is an entertaining two-plus-hour way to tell you that story and catch you up on what happened. And so for that reason, I think it's an important artifact that it exists, that it will stay in history forever for anyone to be able to look at and go, that's what happened. And maybe, again, it will encourage people, much like I mentioned with Devotion, to go back and read this book and get even more depth about how this took place and how much, how pervasive it was, how broad it spread. So movies like this enlighten the public and teach as well as entertain. And, and that's always something to be absolutely praised. And it's just really well made to boot. So she said we'll be in theaters on November the 18th. And if you couldn't tell, I highly recommend it. One of my favorite films of the year, actually. Looking forward to seeing it again at some point before end of year voting happens for myself because I think it could show up on my ballot a few times. Well, real quick before we end, I wanted to briefly mention our Letterboxd code. We do have a partnership with them. You can use the code FeelinFilm, that's F-E-E-L-I-N-F-I-L-M at letterbox.com for 20% off a pro or patron upgrade at any time. So if you are due, 
if you typically do that around the holiday season, or if you want to gift someone a subscription to Letterboxd or an upgrade to their account, there you go. Use our code FEELINGFILM at letterbox.com and get yourself a little bit of money off on a great, great site for film lovers. That's it for this week on FF Plus. Hopefully I have helped you with your decision making on what you're going to see. If you do watch any of the movies that I talked about, by all means, let me know. Find me on social media. The links to all of my channels are in the show notes of each and every episode. I would love to chat. I'll be back soon. Until then, keep watching and keep feeling filmed.